Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. And today we've got Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. We've got the Tom and Tom Show today, which I'm very excited about. Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish are in studio and awfully glad they're here. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank Bill, you, Bill. To be with you. Thank you. We've got uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner is not available today and Justin 007 is not available either. So thank you for your faithfulness to the show. Good to, Good be, to here be here always. Yeah. You can't shut us up. <laughs> <laughs> That goes without saying, Tom Brock. <laughs> That's true. Yep. All right, so let, um, let's get things started, and I want to invite anyone with a question to text it over to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Or if you like the old-fashioned email, you can also send it to bill at myfaithradio.com. Here's a question that came in this morning in advance of the show. That's kind of nice, isn't it? I love mm-hmm. it. I do, too. Um. Job 2.1 says that Satan came into the presence of God with the other angels, but heaven is a place with no evil. Why was Satan allowed in? Well, there's three heavens. Paul talks about the third heaven, and uh, now he doesn't explain what all that means, but let me... The heaven of heavens is where God God rules. Um, the second heaven, maybe, is outer space, and the first heaven, we'll say, is... Sky, the the sky, yeah. Yeah. Now, so, and you know, it does talk about principalities and powers, uh, Ephesians 6, being in the heavenly places, these demonic forces that are in the heavenly places. So I'm I'm just talking off the top of my head here, but where God dwells, uh, there's nothing evil. Mm -hmm. But then there are these heavenly places above us somewhere where there are demonic spirits and... uh, that doesn't get fixed, I think, until the end where Satan is thrown down and put in the lake of fire. And, you know, Satan's a created being. So I don't know the full time frame here with Job and how that works out scripturally. Certainly after Adam and Eve, you know, because Job was a real human being. But how this all works out, I'm not quite sure. But I think what it comes down to is this. The Lord God Almighty can call into his presence whoever he wants, whenever he wants, mm-hmm. even though he's totally immune from evil and does not tolerate evil in his presence. That doesn't mean he cannot use the evil even to accomplish his purposes. And Job is such a significant book in the Bible because it's a book of suffering. In the midst of suffering, how do we trust in the one true God? So the story is there for all of us. Job is the universal story for every single mm-hmm. one of us, and we need to understand that no matter what Satan throws at us, in the end, Jesus will have the final word, and that's what I cling to. And it occurs to me, too, not only Ephesians 6 talks about demonic principalities and powers in the heavenly places, when the apostles came back from healing and casting out demons, Jesus rejoiced, and he said, I saw Satan falling like lightning. Yeah. So there's a there's a demonic stuff up there somewhere, but... Where God alone exists is only good, of course. But he did call in, like you just said, the demon, uh, Satan, to 
to put Job it, on display. It's interesting. Last week we had a, a couple over that I had the privilege of leading to Christ many years ago. He was a former. He was a warlock. She was a witch, and they both heard the Lord's voice and they came to church. And it was through that then I was a, able to lead them to Christ. The long story short is this: He made an interesting point. He said, "I had no intention." of knowing Jesus. I had no intention. I'm third generation warlock. He said, but Jesus came into my presence and came looking for me. And I think that's the unique part about the Bible, because when you read Job, you have to also look at the whole of Scripture at the same time, and when it all fits together. Mm -hmm. Nice answers. You guys, you're starting off well. I got to thank you. I got to tell you that you guys are off to a good start. (laughs) Matthew 5, we're told to love our enemies. Why is this statement so challenging for us Christians? Well, it's a challenge because our human nature, you know, even redeemed human nature, is one where we still have to keep going back to the Lord in repentance. Because, you know, I would like to believe that now that I know Jesus, I never have a bad thought. I never think ill of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's not true. And so I have to continually go back in his presence. Therefore, he asked me to be like him. And that's the goal of the Christian life, to walk and to become like Jesus, knowing him and being like him. And here's the trouble. Jesus is more ready to forgive than we are to even repent. Now, he, he waits for the repentance, of course, but he is eager for that to happen. And if we're going to represent him, he asks us to do the same thing. So what I've learned is this. I, I never would have dreamed when I went to the ministry I'd make enemies. But I did. There are people that just don't plain like what I say. And I had to learn real fast. Either I was going to become withdrawn and embittered by these people, or I was going to treat them the way Jesus would, and I was still going to reach out and forgive. And it's not been an easy task, I'll tell you right now. It is not. But I know the goal is to be more like Jesus than it is to be like the world, and that means even forgiving your enemies. There's a bumper sticker that says, love your enemies, it will drive them crazy. (laughs) And that's not why we love our enemies, but... You know, it's, it is amazing the way ordinary people, when you just keep loving on them, they can't handle that. Right. And, and for, for, in a good way, that they hopefully will come to Christ or whatever. I can't love my enemies on my own. I, uh, so that's when Jesus says, love your enemies, he means it. We've got to do it, but we can't do it on our own. So we pray for the Holy Spirit's grace and help. Yep. I think my favorite bumper sticker is the one that says, coexist. Oh, oh my. I've, I have a feeling those people haven't spoken to their parents in three years. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, brother. Yeah. Oh, oh my. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's look at um, today's young adults. They seem to be attending uh, church less. They see the church as ineffective and hypocritical. What can we do to reach them? I just read a study by Barna, and he was pointing that out, that there, there was a time when we, we believed that, like kids in confirmation, they would then drift away, but the majority of them would come back when they became adults and had kids. It's not true anymore. Kids are not coming back. The young adults are not coming back. And I think the, if you look at what young adults say is the problem with the church, that we're hypocritical, that we're not relevant, that we're kind of out of touch. And I think we've done a terrible job at communicating how the church has been involved in the world and still is, and we've not done a very good job at admitting our own faults. I mean, I don't know about you, Tom, but I cannot think of the last time I heard a a, a preacher who even made a mistake in his church ever got up in the pulpit and said, I sinned against you and against the Lord. Please forgive me. We, We elevate people instead of elevating Jesus. And the point is, we're just human beings. So it gives fodder, mm-hmm. firing power, 
to young adults. And instead, we have to simply be honest yeah. and sit down and tell them the truth. Yep, and like I, you, I need Jesus. I think the reason not only young adults, but the whole culture is going non-Christian yep. is because the church isn't preaching the gospel. Mm. They're not preaching the good news, which starts with the bad news that we're sinners who deserve hell. And then you get to the good news, Christ died for your sins, rose from the dead, believe you'll be forgiven and saved. But so many churches, you go to church and it's nice fluff. And I'll, I'll say it again on the air here. The three pillars of liberal theology. <laughs> Pillar number one, God is nice. Pillar number two, we too should be nice. Pillar number three, isn't that nice? <laughs> and, and, and when you go to churches and that's all you get, yeah. why go to church? Yeah. Rosie just typed on my little uh, screen over here. We have entertained our young adults and we didn't teach them. Mm-hmm. Good and point. Mm-hmm. When I was in high school, I will uh, shout out to my uh, religion teacher who met with us on Monday nights and there'd be about 50 or 60 kids that would jam into the biggest basement we could find every Monday and he would open up his Bible when he walked in and say, hello, everyone, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 4. Yep. Hmm. We didn't play games. We didn't sing songs. We didn't do anything. We this studied. Is, is his... this a Catholic church? No. Oh, okay. No, it's high school. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. But it was good. God's Word. Amen. And we couldn't wait to get right. an hour of it, yeah. and we couldn't wait till the following week. Yeah. We well, wanted to study God's Word. If If everybody's going to heaven... If God is a marshmallow, like some churches teach, why go to church? Yeah. Well, eternity is in our hearts, says Solomon. It's already there in these millennials, these young adults. The question is, what's going to fill the gap for them? And you've got everything in our society trying to fill in the eternal gap. Now it's all temporary. We know that. But, I mean, you look at the Hollywood and the, the musicians today, how many of them have made it so big in the world and so much money. They wind up overdosing. They wind up with, you know, eight, nine, ten marriages. Their, their life is a mess. The point is the only satisfaction is in really knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're right. We don't do a very good job of communicating him and making him real to people and challenging people. This is what I think is important. Young adults have to be challenged to do something with their life beyond what's just good for them. And that good is what Jesus has prescribed. Well, spo- well spoken. Yeah, I like that. All right, we'll take a little break. When we come back, I'm waiting for your questions. As always, 877-933-2484. It's Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk. The two uh, pastors today are Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish. So glad to have them. We'll be right back. You can also uh, email me with a question, bill at myfaithradio.com. Be right back. to the show. It's Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Already, already getting a nice rave review from Joseph, a regular listener. He said, preach it. And also, we continue removing God from our culture. Darkness is an absence of light. That's so mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to change gears just a little bit because I think personal stories are always kind of interesting to me. Did you guys have any pivotal moments like in high school or college that 
change the trajectory of your life in oh. a way that you can clearly say that moment was significant. Absolutely. When I was in high school near Toledo, Ohio, called Perrysburg High School, I was in the plays, I had the lead and that kind of stuff, but I was a terrible student and I was bored. I, I hate to put it this way, but I just did, I had a C average. Well, this is the height of the Vietnam War. So this is 1968, I'm graduating. I figured I'm going to go off to Vietnam. What, do I, what choice do I have? I don't have the grades to get into college. One day in March of that year, the guidance counselor, Dolores McHugh, called me into her office. She said, Tom, I'd like to propose something to you. I said, what's that? She said, how do you like to go to the University of Toledo, not have to take the SAT or the ACT? Mm. I said, really? But I don't have the grades. She goes, yeah, I think you could do it, though. She said, I can directly admit you, and you don't have to do anything except go and take your classes. Well, it turns out she technically said she betrayed the program. This was for 4.0. Here I had a 2.3. But she said, I think you're one of the smartest students around. In the first quarter, I carried 18 hours and put a 3.8 on a four-point scale, and then it was that way from the rest of the way on. But without her doing that, I would have never gone to college. I would have never gone to seminary. I would not be preaching and teaching the gospel. And I, she's now gone and with the Lord, but she was a real saint who loved Jesus, and she saw something nobody else saw. Even my parents didn't think I was going to make it to college with my grades. Mm. My pivotal moment was this. I was raised, my dad was Catholic, my mom was Lutheran. We all went to church every Sunday, but came home and didn't talk about it much. And the Lutheran church I was raised in, it was a good conservative uh, Lutheran church, I remember learning about the Trinity, the second coming, but for some reason, salvation was not clear to me growing up. And if you know about Martin Luther, that's what he was all about. We're saved by grace alone, not by good works. Some reason, I didn't catch that. So I go to college. I discover a more exciting kind of Christianity, inner varsity. I got in a fellowship group. I led a Bible study. So here's what happened. I'm leading Bible study, and a young woman named Pam says, Tom, can I talk to you privately? And I said, okay. So after the Bible study, she says, Tom, are you sure you're saved? And I got offended, and I said, I I think I'm saved. No, no, are you sure you're saved? And I said, yes. And then she left, and I'm sitting there thinking, did I just lie? Because I don't think I was sure. And it was during that time. This is my third year of college. No, second year of college, I think. Anyway. It was explained to me, First John five thirteen. I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you're, you're, you have eternal life, and, and you'll never be good enough. And that's why people who are trying to get to heaven by being good enough will never be sure, because you never know if you've done enough. When I came to understand the cross, that we're saved by grace and 100% by what Jesus did, I think I was saved before that point, but confused. But when I got the assurance of my salvation— Everything changed. I wanted to preach this for the rest of my life. Mm. And it was because of this obnoxious Pam who, what do you mean? Are you, aren't you sure you're saved? You know? mm-hmm. But I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad she was pushy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's never, it, there's nothing is ever inconsequential in God's economy. Mm-hmm. Those, that call into the office, mm-hmm. that confrontation from Pam, mm-hmm. that little in, exchange of what was it, a couple of minutes maybe? Yeah, it probably was. <laughs> but think of that, Tom, how that changed, changed the trajectory of your life. I wish I could. She had a wooden leg. She limped. Uh-huh. I wish I could find her and thank her for yeah. what she did. Um, but anyway.
But when you get up in the morning and you, you think of your day and maybe you feel all the pressure of the day, always leave in your mind the idea that one of these moments, one of these God-ordained moments mm-hmm. might mm-hmm. be right in front of you Absolutely. that day yep. and you're not going to see it coming. And that's why right, I just got done garage sailing. In my pockets are four <laughs> spiritual laws yeah. because I'll go to a garage sale and somehow God comes up and I'll hand them the salvation pamphlet. And I I, uh, I think you're right, Bill. I, when we pray in the morning, God, use me to share you with somebody today. I really appreciate you asked that question, and here's why. We need to be doing this in the church, in our Bible studies, in our small groups, even from the pulpit, you know, because we we don't, we we treat Christians too much like an audience. You know, they come, they participate, they sing the songs, they give an offering, they go home. Where are we asking them? Have you had a divine appointment this mm-hmm. week? Or what has the Lord set up for you? Who has he brought into your life that has made a difference? Or who did you get to talk to? And I think we need to take time, even in the worship service, to have a few testimonies like that on a regular basis. Because I think most Christians don't connect with what the scriptures say with their daily life in terms of how the Lord works. So thank you, Bill. I Mm. think, yeah, what you just did, Bill, with asking our, it's a great thing when you go to church and every Sunday or maybe at least once a month, they let some lay person get up and for three minutes tell their story of salvation. Mm-hmm. I mean, people get on the edge of their seat for that kind of stuff. So I think it's sometimes the, the best three minutes of the I know, service. I know. Oh, yeah. 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 But just, you know, again, I encourage people, uh, go go online to g- Google Good News Tracks, buy mm-hmm. a ton of tracks. I mean, tomorrow I'm doing a funeral, mm-hmm. and at the f- door I'm going to set up two music stands so... As they leave church, I'm going to hold up a, a salvation pamphlet and say, please take this home and make sure you know where you're going to go when you have your funeral, you know? Well, I, like I encourage that. Christians, you know, you can make your own little business cards, whatever you want to call them. It's You can do it on your own printer at home. But I say to people, you have a divine appointment like at, at uh, Walmart, or you talk to somebody about faith in Jesus. How do you stay in contact with them? Because it's the discipleship we really want. We want them to grow in faith. And so I encourage people, you carry like a business card with you, just your name and phone number or email. You make sure you hand that out to that person. And I've done that for years and years and years with people and I've been knowing I'm a pastor. And I will tell you, when I have those encounters, I would say 60% wind up emailing me or calling me on the phone and wanting to know more. So there is a hunger out there. We just need to be able to fill that in. And what I'm hearing both of you say, which I appreciate is that you feel that there is a sense of urgency in your spirit. Mm-hmm. You want no. people to walk out of a funeral with access to the four yep. spiritual laws that clearly lays out the gospel yep. with an opportunity for them to receive Christ at the end. And, you know, hearkening back to the Pam story when I was in college, I was a, I was liberal theologically uh, my last years of high school and early college and I, I kind of what, argue, that, what does that mean? Well, for me, it meant there's no hell. Everybody's okay. going to heaven. Okay. And then uh, some Baptists really put it type. Actually, they were Church of Christ. They said, Tom, it's in the Bible. There's a hell. Mm-hmm. When I came to believe in hell, that's when I started to evangelize people. And and you're right, Bill. It's urgent. I mean, when you die, it's heaven or hell. Yeah. Yeah. It's one. It's one or the other. Yeah. And that's a long time, eternity. Mm. One thing my wife said to me years ago, she said, Tom, when you preach, 
preach as though the people listening, it will be the last message they hear mm-hmm. before they meet Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, that impacted me. I began mm-hmm. to think about, whoa, I've got to really be diligent in what I'm doing. Yeah. And uh, I've seen it, if you can use the term payoff, I've seen the Lord reach a lot of people. Yeah, and if I can add this, Bill, to, to what Tom just said, I'm about to get up one Sunday to preach, and our sound man says, Tom, how long is eternity? I said, forever. And he said, eternity is this huge mountain made out of solid diamond, the hardest substance on earth. Once every hundred years, a little bird flies by, rubs its beak once on the top of the mountain, flies away. hundred years later, he comes by, rubs its beak once on the top of the mountain, flies away. hundred years later, and he said, when that huge solid diamond mountain is worn all the way down to nothing, the first day of eternity has passed. Wow. And when you, I mean, really, if there's a heaven and a hell for eternity, what do we do? We need to spend our money like that's true. We need to give to missions. We need to uh, turn off whatever's killing our spiritual lives. And, and uh, yeah. Well, it's dead serious. And the problem is we're not presenting it as dead serious like we should or we need to. And I get to visit a lot of churches along the way, and I am often disappointed by what I hear because it's very generic. You know, God loves you. You know, it's almost back to your statement, Tom. But the the truth is about Jesus and his sacrifice and what that really means and that there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved is rarely spoken in the churches that I've attended, and yet it needs to be said over and over. And I think I asked somebody once, when's the last time your pastor preached on hell? And the response was, He's never preached on hell. I'm surprised. Mm. Yeah. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. Yeah. How do, how do you avoid that? You, you, well, some people have a interpretation of Scripture where God is love and that erases all the hell verses. <laughs> mm. Well, I've been reading sermons by people that are quite liberal. They're online. A lot of them put up a little... You'd be amazed how they pick and choose from the scriptures they want. They, you know, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And they stop there. Yeah. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. That line isn't in there. So I think it's this picking and choosing what's comfortable well, that's the problem. It's, it's, uh, somebody said to me, they went to a funeral, and the pastor said, Jesus said, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. The pastor left off the nobody comes to the Father except through me. And she went up and said, well, why didn't you hold, use the whole verse? Well, I didn't want to offend people. Mama me. My. Mamma mia. But, you know, Isn't I want to... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll sing it. No, no, please don't. No, no. Do you know the most famous sermon in American history by Jonathan Edwards? Oh, yes. What is it? Uh, sinners in the Hand of an Angry and God. And I want to encourage our listeners, Google the words Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God and read that sermon. And if that doesn't make you repent and go to church... I give up. Mm-hmm. And, and and you don't hear that kind of preaching anymore. Yeah, read the Bible, I, I've, too. That yeah. doesn't make you repent when you want to go to church. <laughs> I've heard, your, I've heard your preaching, Tom. Yes. It's very close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right, let me take a little break. When we come back, lots more Guide Talks. It's the Tom and Tom Show today. Uh, Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish. Let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. You can email me, Bill, at myfaithradio.com. Thanks for being with us today. I love our time together. I'll be right back.
Welcome back to Guide Talk, or Guys Who Talk. Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish are my power panel today, and I'm awfully glad they're here. Lots of good questions coming in. Uh, let me ask you this, though. This is another one of those personal questions. Is there a particular psalm that you have completely consumed, devoured, analyzed, prayed through, studied, embraced, memorized? Well, Psalm 51, when I sin, I love to get on my knees and read that psalm out loud. That's the psalm David came up with when he committed adultery and murder once Nathan put his bony finger in his face and said, you are the man. Mm-hmm. And then he repented and wrote Psalm. I think Psalm 51 is a great one to read when you've sinned. Mm-hmm. I think anytime you're depressed, I had an old preacher say, just open the book of Psalms and read one out loud. It's, it's a great way to to deal with depression and anxiety is to read a psalm out loud. I agree. I like Psalm 46. God is a refuge and strength, never present help in trouble. Because I've been in trouble a lot in my life. You know, we make bad decisions. We do stupid things. And yet, here's the fun part. The Psalms assure me, and David knew all about this because he was in trouble a lot too, that the Lord is always eager to step in. Mm -hmm. You know, we just got to simply turn over our hearts to him and say, come in, Lord, and take control. And that psalm for me has been... Uh, a blessing through the ministry, through my life, through my marriage, with my kids, and I go back to it over and over and over. All right. I will uh, jump in on this one, too. Um, Psalm 103 is my all-time favorite. I've memorized the entire thing, and I memorized it in NIV. So I was I go through it in my head almost every night at 2 in the morning if I get really? it. I mean, if I'm well, really? I don't even know what it is. What is it? Hit it, Bill. Well, Hit I'm, it. I, I'm getting to a point here, Tom. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm <laughs> Excuse me. That's right. It's your show. I do not interrupt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Often. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but Psalm 103, I learned it, I memorized it in NIV, and, and it's praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. And then one day I open up the New King James Version, or King James, and it says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, praise the Lord and bless the Lord feel like two different activities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Did I memorize it in the wrong version? I don't know. All right, but Bill, so it, um, so you you know that you have the whole psalm memorized. Yeah, yeah. Good for you. Yeah, is this the one? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy yep. name. Yep. Okay. Forget not all His benefits. He, he forgives you all your right sins. That's yep. for He forgives you all your sins. Yep. Okay. Yep. That's a great psalm. Heals all your diseases and redeems your life from the pit. Crowns you with. Yeah, that's yep. a great psalm. That's a great. Psalm. Well, you think about it. The word praise is what we give back to the Lord because of who he is. Offering a blessing back to the Lord is giving back to him what he's put within us. Mm-hmm. Because you you bless somebody out of your being. You praise somebody for who they are. Yeah, I might check in with Mark Muska um, on that too because he's up next. Okay. Ask the professor. I mean, I just like a variety of opinions. Sure. Not that you guys aren't get, awesome because you are. Go get them. But I'm just thinking that... <laughs> Might be a question for Mark, too. Here you go. All right, here's a question. Uh, Can you pray for the Holy Spirit to fill an unbeliever? Hmm. It depends on how you define fill. Fill is spiritual awakening, absolutely. Result of conversion, the result of... Yeah, yeah, spiritual awakening takes place. 
Phil, in terms of the presence of the Spirit guiding the individual, without the person surrendering to Jesus, without repentance, the, the Spirit can oftentimes direct our path, even on believers, but we don't recognize who it is. If we want to recognize it's the Lord himself, it's the Spirit that's guiding us, then we need to come to that point of repentance and faith. And that's critical, and I don't know how to get around that. You've got to have that. And Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin. So I think you can pray, oh, Holy Spirit, please convict my atheist uncle. And also it says in the book of Acts, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to receive the things said by the Apostle Paul. So I think you can pray, Holy Spirit, open my uncle's heart, convict him of sin, bring him to Christ. And then the Lord does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, in his own timing. Mm -hmm. Quick question from a listener, just to repeat the name of the sermon that is a must-listen. That's uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Yep. Yep. Read that. Read that. That's uh, just uh, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards. 1700s, New England, Puritan mm-hmm. preacher. Yeah. There's another one. As the birth pangs are ramping up so quickly, how do we talk with our adult children about the end times and prophecy while being hopeful and positive, even as we know things will get worse here on earth? as is happening now. It's funny, I uh, I was in a Bible study. I've done this a couple of times, and everybody's talking about Revelation and what it means. And I'm, I'm big into Revelation. I like that. I said, look, I can summarize Revelation in two words. Everybody looks at me like, what's wrong with you? What do you mean you can summarize it? Jesus wins. <laughs> and that's the bottom line of the whole thing. On this side of eternity, we see a lot of chaos. And we have the chaos for one simple reason. The Lord God Almighty has given us free will. And in that free will, we can choose to either follow him or do evil. And you look at what's going on in the world. There's so much evil, people making terrible, terrible choices. We need, once he comes into our life, he gives us the power now to make his choices. And in the end, Jesus is going to have the final word. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm my whole life, my whole future is built on that premise right there that Jesus wins and has the final word. And what I would say to your kids, number one, two things. Number one, here's what's happening at the end. Jesus comes down on the clouds. The dead are raised. He judges the world. Believers go to heaven. Unbeliever goes, unbelievers go to hell, and then everything melts. We have the new heavens and the new earth. Yep. Those are the basics. <laughs> I wouldn't get too much caught up in all the uh, trivia on that. So I, I would make sure your kids know what the basics are. He comes down on the clouds, raises the dead, judges the world. And then everything melts with fire. We go to heaven or hell. Make sure they know the basics, because uh, I mean, I have a friend when I when I was in 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 high school who went to a a, a very liberal uh, denomination had never heard that Jesus is coming back. Seriously? So make sure your yeah. <laughs> so make sure yeah. your your kids know the basics of the second coming, and then I would say. Um, you know, you have to be ready at any moment. It could happen at any moment. It also may not happen for 2,000 years. We don't know. No. And, I mean, when when this person said the birth pangs are, ramp, are, are ramping up, okay, but it still could be another 2,000 years. I mean, in, in, in Europe, in these Middle Ages, with plagues killing millions of people in Europe, they thought it was the second coming. It was around the corner. It wasn't. So you just don't know. I had a chance to talk many years ago with uh, Hitler Youth. She was in her 80s now when I got to talk to her. And I, I said, you know, you, you grew up Lutheran. You know, what did you think of Hitler? She said, well, we were kind of stupid because you got a uniform and you got to go, like, camping and things like that. So we got caught up in that. But she said what it really came down to is that um, 
we were having a great time. We weren't conscious of what was really going on. And she said, I actually went blind for years until I woke up and began to realize what's going on. But she said, I forgot about the very things that I've been taught, like the Apostles' Creed, Mm -hmm. that Jesus is coming again. And she said, in my church growing up, the cross, believe it or not, was replaced with the swastika. This was a Lutheran church. Yeah. And we need to hear that today because a lot of Lutheran churches in Germany in the 1940s submitted to to uh, the wrong thing, and yeah. a handful didn't, and they, like Bonhoeffer, and they were willing to lose their lives. That is what grieves me about the American church. You've got whole denominations that are uh, pro-abortion rights, that are doing gay marriages now, and they're submitting like, like the... Uh, church did to Hitler instead of being willing to be Bonhoeffer and look, I'll die before I'll submit to this stuff. You know, one scripture verse that I really believe should be up at churches. You know how I like to do that, Tom, get a scripture verse up front. I've always done that. One I'd like to have up there are Jesus' words. If you are ashamed of me and my words in this generation, then I will be ashamed of you when you stand before my heavenly father. We have simply forgotten that in the church that I've actually said to somebody, they've said to me, well, I just don't believe that. So my response was, so you're saying Jesus was a liar? Mm-hmm. Well, 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 no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say he was a liar. Then why aren't you quoting him? And why aren't you believing what he said? Once we can remove Jesus from the picture and what he says, we can do anything we want. Gentlemen, on this day, September 2nd, 1945, the surrender of Japan was announced by uh, Emperor Hirohito. And that was the end of the hostilities to World War II. Brought it to a close. Amazing the men and women that sacrificed their Mm -hmm. lives in World War II and still to this day continue to support uh, the U.S. military and defend our country. And it's a beautiful thing that we should be thankful for their bravery and courage and be uh, always remembering them in our prayers. Absolutely. Yeah. My dad was a Marine on Iwo Jima, and through his field glasses he saw... The raising of the flag on Iwo Jima. Did he really? Yep. And he and his friend were the only two of their platoon that came out of that alive. My dad so. was on Tinian and saw the uh, Enola Gay and Boxcar take off with the atomic really? bombs. He actually knew. He was part of the inside group. He was staff sergeant under Curtis did he know? Did he know when those planes were taking off that they were going to bomb? Uh, yes. He did. Yes. He saw the, when we brought back the film, so the fire bombing. He said he counted in one film seven fire tornadoes. It was so horrendous. Mm. But he said it was a horrible thing, but he said he was so thankful that it was over. Mm -hmm. Couldn't believe it was done. Mm. And how important it is to pray for uh, people in leadership in our country, whether you agree with them or not, but to offer uh, them uh, to the Lord for their uh, service and guidance and pray that God's will be done. And pray for the Christians in Afghanistan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult. So in uh, Matthew 5, Jesus tells us to be salt and light. What does that mean to you guys? Give me a personal application and do it now. (laughs) Well, well, salt salt adds flavor. My mom lived to be 99 years, 8 months, and she used more salt than anybody ever saw, so I'm in good shape. So it adds flavor, and light, of course, gives clarity. You can see what's going on around you. You're not stumbling. You know, we are to be salt and light to the world in that we are not to be silent. We're to speak out. We're to... Bring Jesus into every conversation. And I, like I try to tell people all the time, the school board 
can't keep the name of Jesus out of it because it's public property. You can still bring the name of Jesus. You can still bring his words. And we can do that anywhere we go because he's the king of the universe. It's not the federal government. It's not the state government. It's Jesus who has yep. the final word. And Jesus said, you know, if the salt loses its saltness, what what use is it? Mm-hmm. And if the church has conformed totally to the world, what's the use? That's I trouble. Mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me take a little break just a minute early. And when we come back, I've got some great questions coming out. I don't want to start these until I have some time. Oh. So, yeah, got some great questions. If you've got... Uh, a question, 877-933-2484 is our text line. We'd love to hear from you because this hour is about you and your questions and whatever you're grappling with. And maybe there's a piece of scripture that you don't understand. And most importantly, we want to take God's word and apply it in our lives so we can walk out our faith in everyday life. Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish are my distinguished guests. 877-933-2484. Be right back. It's a violin day. Well, jazz. Do you, know what, Do you know what that song is? Yeah. What is it? <laughs> it's a great old classic. It's a great, yeah. It's um, something of my heart. The nearness, the nearness of, of heart. you. Yeah. Nearness of you, right. Sorry, I was thinking about something else when you popped that quiz. <laughs> I'm <in>. sorry. <laughs> I, you know, I, I listen to my bumper music, but I don't. You know what I mean? Because my mind is thinking, what do I do next? There you go. Yeah. And you're doing... Pop quizzes with mm-hmm, me, Tom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, great question just came in. Let's get to it. Uh, in Proverbs, the words wisdom, understanding, insight, and knowledge are talked about. Can you explain what they mean? Wisdom, understanding, insight, and knowledge. Let me read Proverbs 4 7 for you uh, quickly. I can find it. The beginning of wisdom is this get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. I can define wisdom real fast. It is the ability to take the truth of what the Lord has said and apply it practically to your life. That's wisdom. It's taking that truth and applying it in your relationships, in the way you live, in the way you think. And people that have wisdom are people that are following the Lord's way. And my thought is, in that verse, it's probably meaning the same thing. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get understanding. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably just synonymous with each other. That's my, off the top of my head, that's my guess. Yeah. All right. I have a friend who is an atheist, and I don't know really how to quite reach him. Anything I can do to get his attention and help him rethink his beliefs? He's a good guy. Hmm. I love working with atheists and agnostics. And the reason I I love working with them is that they're so sure of what they've already believed. And so I will go to lunch with them. I'll go to breakfast. I'll spend time. And basically, I let them do most of the talking. And they they tell me about how they've worked this all out or they've thought this through. And then I ask them some simple questions. Where'd you get your information? You know, can you show me the source where that information came from? Well, what do you 
think about what Jesus said about himself since you've looked at all the information. Obviously, you've read the Gospel of John closely, and you understand his seven claims. <laughs> what are those seven claims, and why are they so important to understand? And I've had people sit there, these poor guys will sit there, and they'll look at me like, well, I, I don't know. I said, wait, 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 wait. You made up your mind about Jesus, heaven, and hell, and you haven't looked at the evidence? And it is usually at that point that we can begin a conversation. But biggest thing is to, to respect them, to listen to them, but not be afraid to challenge them. Challenging somebody is not disrespectful. It's holding them accountable to what they're already saying. And so I love doing that, and I have been blessed to see a lot of atheists come to the Lord Jesus Christ and come to faith um, through that kind of an exchange. And, you know, if I could tell a story, what what's, this is reminding me of is, Two years ago now or so, I was in Wales staying at an Airbnb, and I'm in the kitchen with an atheist and a guy who was on the fence. He knew he went through Alpha, but he hadn't committed himself to Christ. And the atheist, they find out I'm a preacher, and the atheist just rather intensely starts going back and forth with me. And, and the atheist left, and the guy on the fence said, I don't want to be like him. I want to be like you. And it, not that I'm so great, but because I had purpose, I had meaning. The atheist had nothing. I mean, what do they have to offer? Nothing. And and, and I was able to lead that guy to Christ. We got on our knee. I read through the four spiritual laws to him. He prayed and accepted Christ. And I handed him the booklet. And I said, now find a good church, which can be a bit of a trick in, in Wales. <laughs> but um, And I've communicated. In fact, Bill... I talked about him on this show, and he wa- and I, I sent him an email telling him that, and he wanted to know how can I, and he listened to the show. Really? I, I'm pretty sure he did, because I, I gave him the, the link or whatever you sent me. Let me add one more thing to that, Tom. How many great Christian hymns are there? You're a singer, mm-hmm. but how many hymns would you guess there are out there that people sing all over the world? Gazillions. Gazillions. Yeah. How many great atheist hymns are out there? Yeah. None. Oh, oh well, there's one. Really? What is it? Imagine there's no heaven. Oh, John Lennon. And I, I that song is so horrible. Oh, I hate that and song. And people, uh, imagine there's no hell. You know, uh, that's the only atheist hymn I know, and people love that song. Well, it's, it's, they have it's been the Beatles singing. <laughs> the Beatles singing, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm still convinced their song, All You Need Is Love, was a pivotal point in my generation because my generation still believes all you need is to bring love into the situation, but it's human love. Mm-hmm. It's not the Lord's love. Right. It's their own kind of love, yeah. and it's never enough. As believers, we look at Romans eight twenty eight. I think it's one of the most comforting verses mm-hmm. in Scripture. Yeah. yeah. Right? Me too. Yeah. We know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Now, having said that, when we have very um, difficult, challenging brutal circumstances that come into our life. What do we say to each other to keep each other encouraged when we know all things work together for good, even though what's happening in our lives is so tough? You just let them talk. I mean, if you remember, it, it, Romans eight twenty eight is true. It is one of the most comforting verses in the Bible, but you don't rush in and tell somebody Romans eight twenty eight. I think of Job, his friend's sat with him silently for, what, seven days, eight days, and then they started opening their mouth, giving giving Job the truth. But and, and so sometimes when somebody's hurting, you just let them talk, let them talk it out, and you don't rush in with, well, you know, Romans 8.28 says. One of the things I appreciate about Romans 8.28, and it has a great message for you and I, 
But the real message there is that the Lord is never caught off guard. Whatever we're facing is no surprise to him. No angel ever runs into the throne room and says, guess what? You know, it doesn't work that way. He knows everything that's going on in our life and everything that will come, and he knows the way to deal with it as well. The biggest issue Jesus has in my life with Romans 8.28 is getting me to listen mm-hmm. to him. And sometimes, I mean, I when I was going through the roughest time of my life, I had a dream where I heard a voice say, hands are controlling this. And I took that to be God's hands. Mm-hmm. And then looking at what happened, Romans 8.28 really kicked in. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes God will give us a little miraculous something to remind us. Romans 8.28 is true, even if you're hurting. Yeah, agreed. What kind of stock do you guys put in dreams? Dreams, Bill, are from... (laughs) Dreams, Bill, this is a sermon point. Dreams, Bill, are from one of three places. God, the devil... Or pizza. or pizza, yeah, but um, bump, but um, bump, yeah. But it, but you know, I do, I do believe God has given me dreams, and I've had dreams that really seemed to be from God, mm-hmm. and they weren't. Okay, so you got to be careful. Well, it's cautious, and and dreams always, and or people say the Lord told me, and I believe that, but does it align with Scripture? Mm-hmm. If then it he didn't tell if you. it doesn't align with Scripture <laughs> with what Scripture's already told us, because yeah. that's the most complete record. Yeah, then you got to wonder where the message is coming from, and. Oftentimes, I think I tell myself something I want to hear because I want to hear it. It may not be from the Lord at all. And you're not being evil by questioning somebody's prophecy. Somebody has. I have. Yeah, John. First John says, "Test the spirits to see whether they're from God." That's good. Um, But if you have a dream that you think, I wonder if this is from the Lord, would you recommend uh, telling that dream out loud with? fellow believers that you know and trust sooner than later. I do it well, sooner. I do it sooner because <laughs> I want their judgment. I want their feedback to tell me if my thinking is really crazy or, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, that contradicts in some a, what it says in the Bible. Yep. Proverbs says, in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. So if I have a dream, uh, Tom, you're supposed to move to California, uh, and that'd be a nightmare. I you still got to do the show. But, you but have to moving, call in. moving from Minnesota to California ain't much difference. But anyway, I, I would have to pray about it, but then bounce it off some mature Christians. Of course. And, yeah. Sometimes do you feel that when you express something that even by verbalizing it, you are figuring it out yourself? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Sometimes uh-huh. I find myself when I'm saying something to somebody, I'm realizing going, oh, this sounds stupid now. (laughs) I think the devil loves us to hide things inside. He loves silence. The Christian community is where we can share with one another what's the deepest in their heart, both good and bad, so we can get the Lord's counsel through other people. Mm -hmm. Do you think Satan is interested in keeping secrets in our hearts hidden for as long as possible? Absolutely. You better believe it. He who confesses... He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. He who confesses and forsakes them will succeed. Most young adults that I deal with, millennials, I don't ask them about their sins. I say, tell me about your shame and guilt. And every one of them has it. Every one of them knows what shame and guilt is. They don't know sin, but they know shame and guilt. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, it's important to have that time of confessing, talking with other believers uh, in the process of doing that. God will unearth some of that stuff that's yeah, absolutely. in the tank, in the in the old black box. And, if and, the plane and, crashes, they always go find the black box to find out what happened. Why don't they just make the whole plane out of the black box? You know? <laughs> and, and you know what I'd ask our listeners? 
have you ever confessed your sins to anybody? I, I think a lot of our listeners would, well, I confess them to God. Well, that's good. You got to do that. But that's First John 1, 9. But have you ever confessed your sins, James 5, to another human being? Yep. That's why we're, we've got a lot of people that are guilt-ridden and, and not having victory because they never talk about their sins to See, you and I worked that out a long time ago because yes, my office Tom. is down from years yes. and you come down and you confess all your sins. Daily, and, hourly, and, and how did I handle it, Tom? You'd open the door and you'd just say, you did what? <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you so much uh, for being here today and being uh, awesome and faithful. Good to be here. Yeah, good loved, to be here. Loved having you. We'll take a little break. When we come back, we're going to continue our investigation into God's Word as we uh, have Dr. Mark Muska for the full hour ask the professor. As you know, Mark has been a uh, theology professor here at the University of Northwestern for about 37 years and he'll have his Bible open, so get your questions ready. We're going to talk about what passages mean and how we apply them to our life. So send questions now. Keep them coming. If you didn't uh, get time to put a question in this last hour for Guide Talk, you can do it with Ask the Professor. The number again is 877-933-2484. Again, special thanks to Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish. And I'll give Peter Kapsner and Justin 007 the day off today, but I better see you next week. We'll be back with Hour 2 in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.